0: Welcome to Good Faith Reads. I'm your host, Cliff Vaughn, media producer at Good Faith Media. Good Faith Reads is a short podcast released twice a month in which we focus on one of our book authors at Good Faith Media. We've published more than a 100 titles under our Nurturing Faith book imprint, and we invite you to check them out at goodfaithmedia.org bookstore. Today's guest is Jim Dant, the author of Namaste, Newbie, My Hilariously Holy First Year Practicing yoga and a simple guide to getting you started. Jim is joining us remotely from Greenville, South Carolina, where he is the senior minister of First Baptist Church. Jim, welcome to the podcast.
1: Cliff, thank you for having me today.
0: A standard question we ask all of our authors at Good Faith Reads is tell our listeners briefly what the book is about.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, Namaste Newbie almost gives it away, particularly when the subtitle is My Hilariously Holy First year practicing yoga and a simple guide to getting you started. But it really is a book about yoga. And more specifically, uh, one Baptist minister's first step into a yoga studio and uh, what that felt like and looked like. And um, you know, the trek is how I actually entered the studio for the first time, what kind of pulled me in to practice yoga after that first experience what I try to do in every chapter is uh, give, a, give a very honest uh, insight into how I encountered the difficulties that any newcomer would think about when they're thinking about entering a yoga studio. So it can be intimidating. And uh, so deciding to jump in there, each chapter is kind of a funny funny anecdote about what happened as I encountered these things that intimidate most people in a yoga studio.
0: Tell us a little more about your impetus for writing the book, and you can include in that your impetus for taking up yoga in the first place.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think they kind of mesh. In fact, I'll, I'll talk about my personal impetus uh, for it, and then there's kind of a professional impetus that happened a little further uh, into the process. But uh, personally, it was completely by accident that I ended up in the first yoga studio I had been invited to lead a youth camp out in California, uh, just south of the San Francisco Bay Area uh, near Santa Cruz. In this particular youth camp, they had asked me to come and speak. And the I forget exactly what the theme was, but it had to do with radical living or living on the edge. And I taught in the mornings and the evenings. And then every afternoon, the youth at this camp had to go and experience something that was radically different for them or kind of put them on the edge of their experiences. And I participated. It was a lot of fun. Uh, one, one Rather than doing an afternoon one time, they went on a midnight hike through one of the national forests there, uh, led by a guide in the complete dark. That was amazing. Uh, the next day, we actually went and surfed at Santa Cruz. We had a professional surfer and uh, several uh, teachers take us out and put us on boards. And uh, everybody surfed, adults and youth. It was a lot of fun. and. I think it was the third day of this youth camp, we were going to do yoga. And I'll be honest with you, in the back of my mind, I thought, yeah, that's not real edgy. <laughs> I'm not sure, that's gonna compete with a midnight hike or surfing at Santa Cruz. But uh, we went to the Ananda yoga studio uh, just outside of Santa Cruz. And uh, so that was my impetus for first stepping into a studio. quite by accident, but absolutely was kind of floored by the experience. It was both mentally and physically challenging and relaxing. Uh, I'm a triathlete and have been for years. And at the gym where I work out, there are yoga classes. And those of us who are triathletes usually kind of smirk when we walk by (laughs) and go get a good run in or a good bike in or a good swim in. And I never really thought of it as, you know, a great workout, but, um, I I enjoyed it and I kind of laid it aside for all the fall. And then in January of that year, I have a yoga studio that's just about three blocks from my house. And my life had gotten busy several years ago like everybody else's. And I thought, okay, January the 1st, I'm gonna walk up the street to this yoga studio. I'm gonna walk in there with a you know, pair of sweatpants on. Uh, I'm gonna see, see if I can make my way. Somebody gifted me a mat um, when they heard about my first experience, it was never used. But I went and really joined that community. And that's what the book is about, my life in that particular yoga community. That's kind of the personal side. It it really has brought some peace and a different kind of physicality to my life. Professionally, it's it's interesting when, when somebody says, you know, red Honda Civic, you start seeing red Honda Civics everywhere. And after I went to that first yoga class, yoga kept popping up in my visual and read an article that someone had posted in a magazine that really intrigued me as a minister, that in 2018 and 2019, more people joined yoga studios in the United States than joined churches. And uh, that immediately kind of took me aback to begin asking the question, what is it about that yoga studio? What is it about this practice that in this day and age is attracting more people who need a settled hour two or three times a week and church's offering. So that that was my jump in. It was both for personal benefit, but also to kind of explore this from a faith-based uh, uh, perspective. For some
0: people, Baptist minister and yoga just do not go together. And one of the things you touch on is the book, is the touch on in the book is the non-judgmental atmosphere of the yoga communities that you've been a part of. And on page 59, you wrote something that really jumped out at me. It was a sentence. When I am tempted to judge, I choose to wonder. And so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about yoga and ministry and the ways in which yoga relates to judgment or the lack thereof.
1: Well, I, you know, and every church is not like this, so I don't want to generalize about, um, uh, Christian churches, but but we tend to be places where people feel judged when they come. I, I think that there are probably some churches who are trying to progressively move away from that image and be more graceful and open in their approach to sharing faith. But traditionally, I mean, let's let's come you know face face the fact that we we've been a fairly judgmental people overall, and you you really do find the exact opposite of that within the yoga studio or at least the studios where I've practiced yoga that's not to say that there aren't some that are rigorous and rule oriented but that's not that's not common so in most yoga practices while a teacher is guiding or a yoga is got yogi is guiding the practice you're always free and are told you're not you're not required to do what you're being asked to do. In fact, the language is, I invite you to lie down on your mat. I invite you to stand at the top of your mat. I invite you to this pose. And you may not feel like it that day. And so you may stay in what's called child's pose, which is a very relaxing pose, or you may need a little bit more that day. So you push yourself a little bit more in the yoga studio. There's also like at our studio at the at the door, it says <laughs> you know, no politics allowed when you walk in. it's. Uh, we have people in our studio who are Buddhists and atheists and Presbyterians. There's an Episcopal female rector there, there's me, there's people from all different faiths and walks of life. And the, the, the basic mode and mood in the yoga studio is curiosity and wonder. So people ask a lot of questions and how does this relate to your faith? Or they don't ask any questions at all. You can be as individual and private and anonymous when you walk in as you choose to be, or you can be very much a part of the communicating community. In most yoga studios, you walk in the entryway, uh, there's tea and coffee and benches where you can sit and talk, but when you walk in the studio itself, it is quiet except for the one who's guiding the practice or any music that's going. So it, it really is a place of openness when it comes to ideas and a community by choice we choose to care about each other and wonder about each other rather than judge each other and then it's a common practice which the the practice is like many other religious practices uh, as i say in the book yoga itself is not a religion it is a compilation of practices that people of faith have used for centuries and even millennia in fact christians do most of yoga whether they know it or not they just don't call it yoga <laughs>
0: Our guest today is Jim Dant, author of Namaste Newbie. We'll be right back in 30 seconds with more Good Faith Reads.
1: Lot Carey is proud to bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest pastors coast to coast. Our new podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, delivers wisdom from the black church for the whole church. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or listen online at lotcarry.org. That's L O T T C A R E Y.org. We look forward to the pilgrimage with you.
0: Welcome back to Good Faith Reads. Today, we're joined remotely by Jim Dant, author of the Good Faith Media book, Namaste Newbie, My Hilariously Holy First Year Practicing Yoga and a Simple Guide to Getting You Started. I'm Cliff Vaughn, media producer at Good Faith Media. Jim, tell us about your writing process. Did you give yourself uh, weekly writing goals or daily word counts? Just talk a little bit about the actual process of writing the book.
1: This book was, every book seems to be different. So, you know, the last book I did on LGBTQ issues from biblical literature, wrote it in a week. I mean, I just really sequestered myself, started on Monday, knew what I wanted to do, wrote that week, and then got it out to editors and polished and worked on it for a couple of weeks after that. Uh, This one was a little bit different. Once I started at the studio, uh, oftentimes yoga teachers will encourage you to journal your experiences in yoga uh, as a part of of your yogic practice and since i'm a writer that was easy for me to to just whip a journal out afterwards in the evening and write something and i i found out that most of my writing about yoga wasn't being very inspirational so much as it was being funny and um but i decided to keep doing it so really this book was in process for a year it's really excerpts and polishes polish ups of journal entries essentially and kind of where my mind went and uh I think my favorite uh, favorite comment on the book was somebody wrote me a letter had read it and said this sounds like david sadaris walking into a yoga studio and I, and I liked that feel that you know it, it takes yoga seriously but i don't take myself very seriously in the book and just write about what i was actually thinking about no matter where my mind went or how crude it was or whatever
0: well it's a it's a funny book and it really does mirror this idea of a hilariously holy first year getting into yoga i mean you talk about Doritos as your drug of choice. I love the way you write about aerial yoga as quote-unquote elegant traction. And so I thought in keeping with the um, vein of humor, we should talk about death because uh, your, your chapter or chapters on death were actually some of the most um, engaging, I thought, uh, and most profound as I read through it. And so if, if you would let, let's talk about death for a moment and specifically, uh, breath and life, maybe that's a, a different way of talking about death, but say
1: more. Well, you know, yoga, when we think of, excuse me, when we think of yoga in the West, particularly in the United States, we think of yoga as a physical practice. And, uh, we think of the postures or what they call asanas and Sanskrit of people, posing and twisting and stretching and bending themselves into these postures. Uh, But historic yoga is really more of a mental exercise. It has to do with the stilling of the mind and the postures are intended to still the mind and the the thought processes or what they call the yamas and niyamas, which are kind of the 10 commandments, almost reflect our 10 commandments, are to be meditated on to still the mind and, and keep the mind still. And, In yogic thought, um, death is kind of the ultimate stillness. And at the end of every yoga practice, typically, I'm not gonna say every, but typically at the end of yoga practice, your last pose is called shavasana. And in Sanskrit, that is the corpse pose. So we actually practice for our death at the end of every yoga practice to lie still and to feel the weight of the earth underneath us and to simply meditate and be still for about uh, 10 minutes. And one of the sections I'll read in a moment, I'll probably read a passage about shavasana and death. But embracing death well allows a person to embrace life well. And so breath is the center of yogic physical practice, the the breathing practice. In fact, it's kind of the second level. You do the physical and then you do the, the breathing. And some yogis will say that if you are just sitting still breathing, you are doing yoga if you're paying attention to your breath. Uh, but that whole idea of breath is so significant. Um, I've read a lot about it, listened to a lot about it. And that, and again, that crisscrosses with our Christian view of life and death and breath. Um, and that, you know, as far as contentment goes, one of my favorite phrases is, I wish I could hold on to things in life the way I hold on to my breath. I breathe in what I need, and then I let that go, knowing there's going to be plenty for me to take in another breath when I need it we don't treat everything else in life the way we treat our breath, that there will always be plenty for us. Uh, the other, and you know, quite frankly, I picked this up, the first time I heard it was from Richard Rohr, uh, that the word Yahweh, that we call God, may have actually been nothing more than a breath or a sigh, that when Moses said, what is your name? God went <sighs> <sighs> So Yahweh, and Richard Rohr says, and I, I quote this in the book, that, uh, or make allusion to it in the book, that the very first thing that crosses our lips when we're born is a breath. We say the name of God. The very last thing that crosses our lips when we die is the name of God. So in our tradition, the yogic traditions, this this crisscrossing of life and death and breath is very, very intricate.
0: An important note to all of our listeners, we at Good Faith Media are always accepting book proposals. Our authors engage with an experienced team of editors, designers, and marketers to produce and sell books on a variety of topics. If you have a book proposal you'd like to run by us, head on over to goodfaithmedia.org bookstore for more information. That's goodfaithmedia.org bookstore. Jim, I wonder if you might read for us a sentence or two from the book that was maybe a favorite passage or something that you think is particularly important in the world right now.
1: Uh, Yeah, well, let me start with the death since we're jumping off of that. Is that okay? And then I might totally read read one piece. I mentioned in a paragraph that Shavasana is commonly called the corpse pose. And that in reality, we do this even growing up when our parents teach us the, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, it's even sleep is practicing for death. And and I write this just kind of in a tongue-in-cheek way, but in seriousness as well, that Here's an excerpt on page 31. I wouldn't mind dying in a yoga studio. I would not want to wish hosting my death on the other students or the teacher or the owner, but they might handle it better than other people in other places. I'm pretty sure my fellow students and yogis would get it. And I'm pretty certain I'm not the first to have entertained this thought. I can imagine being in Shavasana, the corpse pose, breathing naturally, and then in a moment, I exhale my last soft breath. After everyone else rolls to their side and mindfully sits up, receives their blessing and engages the response of namaste, someone will notice I am still in Shavasana. A student close to me will check my pulse. That same student will say, he's dead. And I truly hope everyone in the room reverently but confidently exclaims, what a great way to go. I'm glad it was him and not me. But what a great way to go, uh, because shavasana just has that wonderful you know, relaxation to it. And uh, you know, we're supposed to have our minds empty during shavasana, but that was one of my thoughts during <laughs> shavasana, so I, I just uh, wrote it down. And uh, yeah, I think I think maybe the other section that I might want to read just because I've gotten a lot of questions since it's it, it may not be as funny. It's in a more of a serious chapter about is is yoga christian and uh, I, I really liked this paragraph kind of played with it and thought about it before i included it but i think it's an important paragraph for those of us who follow a particular faith this is on page 62. um okay maybe i will be a little argumentative when someone says i know you are a minister and you're practicing yoga uh, i often tell them you do realize the christian bible is an asian north african document the translation of this book into english and it being absconded by western europeans has nearly depleted the sacred text of its original geographic ethos the bible emerged from the middle east that's asia and egypt that's africa jesus was asian jesus spent a portion of his formative childhood in egypt north africa The Apostle Paul's travels were intended to spread an Asian religious perspective throughout a world that was dominated by the European gods of Greece and Rome. The Bible is an Eastern religious text, not a Western religious text. Our reading of the Bible should at least, if not demand, attention to its connection to the Eastern understanding of words, phrases, and practices. When you read the Bible and encounter words like meditation, light, gate, breath of life, heart, vine, river, or tree. You should be willing to explore the significance of these terms in Eastern culture, rather than simply relegating them to our Western definitions and biases. And it's, it's one of the beautiful gifts that yoga has given to me, is to be able to go back to the Bible and read these texts and stories, words, uh, within an Asian African context, rather than within a european western context and uh and since kind of the truly the culture that jesus grew up in which was much different than we often imagine
0: our guest today on good faith reads has been jim dant author of namaste newbie my hilariously holy first year practicing yoga and a simple guide to getting you started the book, along with more than a 100 other titles, is available as both a print book and e-book at goodfaithmedia.org bookstore. Jim, we so appreciate you being our guest today.
1: Well, it has been delightful, and thank you for allowing me to share some time with you and share a little bit about this book.